is not the way that you learned Christ. So writes the Apostle Paul, admonishing the Ephesians for the way they've been speaking and acting lately. For lately, Paul has heard, these Ephesians have been vengeful and embittered and slanderous and quarrelsome, and our buddy the Apostle just ain't having it. That, Paul writes, is not the way that you learned Christ. It's Ephesians 4.20. Dear family, there is so much more to this passage from Ephesians than this verse right here. And there's certainly much more to the letter to the Ephesians than this verse right here. Before today, as we try to tease out the main, main point of the letter to the Ephesians, we can begin in no better place than this verse right here. Which is to say, with Paul's admonition to the Ephesians regarding their divisive and vengeful and mean-spirited temperament. Oh, it might feel good to act this way, he's saying. It might make you feel powerful or superior or righteous in the moment. And who knows, he's saying, you may even be powerful or superior or right in any given situation. But regardless, he says, that is not the way that you learned Christ. Written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, Ephesians is a letter written by a pastor who was both shocked and saddened by reports he's received concerning his former congregation's attitude and behavior. Having spent over two years in Ephesus, the Ephesian church was the church with whom the Apostle Paul spent the longest time as pastor throughout his ministry. Through him, this church in Ephesus had come to faith, through his example, that is, and through his message. And what had drawn them through Paul to faith was the promise of the coming kingdom of God and the revolutionary countercultural message of grace and kindness and sacrifice and self-giving one to another in the here and now. For you see, in a culture where such dispositions were scoffed at or looked down upon, where the premium was ultimately placed on power and might, this simple and gentle way of being appeared quite desirable to these Ephesians. But now, some four years later, with Paul long gone and with various cares and concerns of daily living happening apace, well, that simple and gentle way of being was seeming less and less desirable to them. And thus, rather than be there for one another, 
They were increasingly turning against one another. Rather than building one another up, they were busily tearing one another down. Rather than seeking to edify one another, they were slandering those with whom they disagreed. Rather than reasoning together and looking for common ground, they were forming factions and looking upon others with suspicion and contempt. And so Paul, who had spent so much time with these Ephesians, Paul, who loved and adored these Ephesians, hears now in prison about this sudden turn in their behavior, and he's deeply grieved in spirit. That is not the way, he writes, that you learned Christ. Two weeks ago, we as a church family joined with Albert and Carolyn Mitchell in the dedication of their son, Luke. This, of course, is a practice that we do here as a church family, which is to say we come together around a member family, and as they dedicate their child to God, we as a church collectively commit ourselves to helping raise this child in the love and in the way of Jesus. It is our hope, we collectively say in such moments, that through us this child might see Christ. That through our example, the way of Jesus might seem not only plausible to them as they come of age, but also desirable. This, we confess in such moments together, this is how we hope the child might come to faith in Jesus, that they might, to use Paul's language, learn Christ through us. And we mean it. And such moments we mean it. For when we see these precious children in their precious little outfits, with their wide-eyed wonder as they get carried through the sanctuary, with their innocence so demonstrably on display in such moments, we can't help but mean it. Absolutely, we think and mean in such moments. Absolutely, we want to be disciples such that through us, these precious children might learn Christ. We mean it. But here's the thing. And this thing is Paul's main point here in this passage from Ephesians. Christian disciples do not get to turn off and on the times when we want to demonstrate Christ. To one another. Which is to say, we can't be those through whom a child learns Christ while simultaneously being fractious and persnickety with one another. We can't be those through whom non believers learn Christ 
while simultaneously being suspicious of or contemptuous of or mean-spirited to others in our daily living. It just can't happen. It's a contradiction, either or. Either Christ is being formed in us at all times, or he isn't. Either, to again use Paul's language, either we are being imitators of Christ, aspiring daily, readily to be imitators of Christ, or we're not. Either or. And so if we want others to become more Christ-like, which we ostensibly all do, then we have to remember that if others are going to learn Christ through us, they have to first see Christ in us. Listen here to Paul's words. Let no evil talk come from your mouths. Instead, only speak of that which builds up. Let your words give grace to those who hear them. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Live in love, he writes, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That, Paul is saying, is how they, the Ephesians, ever came to learn Christ in the first place. And so that, he is saying, is what is required of them if they truly want to be Christ's disciples. And we can imagine Paul's anguish, can we not? Sitting there in prison, reflecting on all the good times they'd had as a church family, on the way that the hope for new creation had so inspired them for those two years together to live as if the new creation had already taken root. Surely we can imagine Paul reflecting on the transformation that had been wrought in these Ephesians back then. And on the way back then, they had learned to overcome their differences and their disagreements and to live together in the messiness of life. Surely we can imagine Paul's anguish over remembering all of this and then facing the reality of what they had now become. All of that cable news since he'd left them. All of that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All of that time gossiping about and maligning others at their morning coffee hangouts. All of that time in his absence being discipled and how to derive perverse pleasure from anger and spite and enmity and hate. That's not how you learned Christ. He is pleading with them from his jail cell. No matter how much you might be talking about Christ as you do, he is saying, it is underwritten by anger and contempt and hatred and malice and arrogance. And if it's underwritten by anything of the sort, he is saying, then it is counterproductive. 
For no matter what you're saying, it will not form you or those watching you into anything resembling Christ Jesus. No, just the opposite, he says. Instead, quote, you will be grieving the Spirit. Which is to say, talking about Christ Jesus, representing Christ Jesus, ostensibly living for Christ Jesus, and all the while pointing everyone looking and listening precisely away from Christ Jesus. Cash value on all of this? In a time when young adults age 30 and under are disaffiliating with Christianity at a rate higher than ever before, and when those disaffected young adults are asked to cite the primary reason that they no longer want anything to do with Christianity proper, do you know what the number one reason they cite is? The number one. Not incredulity with doctrinal claims, not boredom or tedium with old rituals and routines, not even busyness and the difficulty of fitting faith into their weekly schedule. Now make no mistake, all of these are indeed reasons that get cited, but they are far from the number one reason. You know, the number one reason that young adults cite for their choice to disaffiliate with Christianity proper is the perceived meanness and hypocrisy and anger and vindictiveness that they sense in Christians ourselves. The data are clear as day on this from poll after poll after poll. And we can bemoan it all we want, and we can protest as Christians all day long that these young folks' perception of Christianity is untrue. But the simple reality is this is what they claim to perceive in us. Simple truth is this is what they claim to have, quote, learned in us. And for that reason, they increasingly want less and less of it. Two thousand years ago, Paul saw this same thing happening. That is, saw the way that the internal dynamics of the Ephesian church were affecting not only its members themselves, but the credibility of the Christ whom they were representing. And so he sat down and he wrote them this letter. And he said to them, and I quote, Beloved, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, together with all malice, and simply be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ has forgiven us. Just be kind, he says. Just be gentle. Just be forgiving. Just show a little grace. Before anything else, he says. Just that. 
Just that. Dear family, make no mistake, opinions matter. Convictions matter. Beliefs matter. Truth is a thing, and it matters. But that being said, no opinion in the world makes the slightest difference to anyone unless it is offered in kindness. And no conviction garners respect from anyone unless it comes from a spirit of gentleness. And no belief persuades anyone unless it is shared with a spirit of humility, just as truth itself is utterly ineffectual unless it is presented in such a way that it magnifies rather than diminishes love. All these years later, as the Western church faces the greatest crisis of disaffiliation it has ever seen, let us, as the Boulevard Baptist Church family, turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians to draw our example for how best to respond to this present crisis. Which is to say, as we think about the Luke Mitchells and all the other young children in our church family whom we are pledging to raise in the love and in the way of Christ, let us heed Paul's advice and grieve not the Spirit. Instead, let us be disciples through whom and in whom they might indeed learn Christ. Just as the Ephesians first learned Christ in the person and in the example of the Apostle Paul. Yes, in a culture that daily disciples us in the way of enmity and division and contempt and discord, let us put away from ourselves all bitterness and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and let us be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. For make no mistake, our children are watching us. In fact, the entire world is watching us. And as they do, they are inevitably learning something in us. The only question is, what? Oh, that it would be Christ. Oh, that it would be Christ Jesus. Let it be, O oh Lord, let it be, and all God's people said, amen.